This is too big to fail. This is just an insane situation. This is now. There's about 70 plus trillion out there in credit default swaps held by roughly 17 banks, and we do not know where the bottom is. How much are you guys thinking? At least five. I think six. Bill, I frankly think Harry and Charlie are low. I think we're talking seven, eight. Hundred billion? Selling this to Congress is the problem. They're gonna want to know where the money's going. They'll jawbone this to death. Scare them. How? Tell them the truth. The government's got to restore confidence. If we don't stop the bleeding, in three days, half the banks in this room are out of business. In five days, we're all gone. You men realize what you've done here? You are asking for the biggest bailout in the history of this country. You're talking nationalization, Breton. Socialism. I have fought it all my life. And if we don't get it, Bill, there won't be any history. Music stops. Ball's over. Welcome to the main event. I open up with that scene from uh, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. You know, it's uh, let's tell the truth of what's going on. Uh, you know, let's tell everybody the truth. If we don't, if the government doesn't bail things out, uh, then game's over. You know, that's a, that's a talking about what happened with the 2008 economic meltdown from the, all the subprime uh, mortgages. And uh, what we're seeing going on today is not that much different. The government, you know, the, the banks are, are private corporations and they're being run by private corporations and they're, and they're uh, publicly owned and uh, they're publicly owned. They're not owned by the, by the government, but the government is insuring them and the government's making moves that is creating problems for these banks. And uh, you know what? Hey, the government will do what they want to do. And when the, when the, when the un- the unintended consequences come out, the government will will take our taxpayer money and bail and bail everybody out, and everything's everything's just fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be good. And that song was Mr. Blue Sky from Electric Light Orchestra, and that's what they sell us. Hey, it's all blue sky. Everything's gonna be just fine. The banking system is is solid. Don't worry about it. You know what? We see what our economy's what we all feel it. 
We all feel it. We feel the the price at the pump. We feel the price in the grocery stores. We see the uh, we see what's going on. We see companies laying off people, but we hear the the jobs reports coming out. How are these new jobs being created? They're not new jobs. They're not they're not more people getting jobs. There's people getting more jobs because the hours are getting cut and people are getting laid off and people are having to to work uh you know two or three part-time jobs to pay their bills so uh you know but everybody wants biden in there it's all it's all good he's doing such a great job with the economy well i'm gonna talk about all that stuff and a lot more that's going on uh this week but before i do let me introduce myself my name is ed hoffman with united american mortgage if you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and there are fantastic opportunities out there uh if you need financing call me toll free at 855-640-2020 that's 855-640-2020 one last time day or night toll free area code 855-640-2020 if you want to talk about real estate and finance, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet, go to my website, edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo and put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates. Uh, some of you guys call it, uh, get uh, leave messages on the on the thing and say and talk to one of my assistants and say and say well let me see if i can get ed to call you back and then you get surprised when you when i actually call you uh but you know what you uh, may actually talk to me and we'll help you find the missing pieces to real estate financing puzzle so uh, 855-640-2020 whether you're looking to uh, refinance a piece of property that you already own whether you're looking to buy a piece of property you'd like to own or whether you'd like to learn more about that reverse mortgage thing for those of you that are over 62 or have a spouse that's over 62 and like to uh, fill in the gap between uh, I've got more I've got more healthy years left in my life than I have money in my bank account, uh, but I do have equity in my house, call us. We'll get you all dialed in. If there's any part of the show that you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, subscribe for free and have it download automatically every week when we uh, we record on Friday mornings. It uploads Friday afternoon, and it will download to your device somewhere shortly thereafter, and you can listen to it on demand. Um, if you have comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And, uh, and I, I see all those emails, and uh, sometimes I comment. So anyway, uh, before we go any further in the studio with me today, as often is, uh, Mr. Scott McAfee, proprietor of Don's Bikes in uh, Rialto and Redlands. Scotty, welcome back to the main event. Thanks, Ed. You know, it's a damn dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, thinking of dirty jobs, you've got a comedy show coming up. I do. I do. We try and do these every couple of months. We call it Make America Laugh Again. Uh, our, our headliner for this next show, which is coming up June the 4th, that Sunday, June 4th, is Kayvon. Look him up. It's K-V-O-N. Look him up on YouTube. He's got a huge following, extremely funny conservative comedian. So our event's going to be at the Gas Lamp in Long Beach. The doors open at 6. Show starts at 7. You can buy tickets on Eventbrite, but it's Mala Comedy, M-A-L-A, Mala Comedy, which is Make America Laugh Again. MalaComedy.com to buy tickets. That's M-A-L-A Comedy.com. Hope to see you there. All righty then. So it uh, sounds like a good one. If you've never been to a conservative comedy show, uh, it's like watching Bill Maher, only uh, with more common sense in it. Yeah, we're actually it's, funny, too. It's just the other side. Well, Bill Maher's funny, too. Yeah. You know, it's time for new rules. The new rules always always uh, kind of anger me, but they make me laugh. 
and it's the part if you watch Bill Maher who's who's trying to convince everybody he's a liberal all the way up through new rules and then as he finishes new rules and gets into his into his monologue there that's where where the conservative starts to come out and I go you know what watch he's he's hardcore liberal in the first part hardcore liberal while they have their little panel then they do the new rules and then he starts talking stuff that actually makes sense and uh, would indicate that he's a conservative so anyway uh, that's how I see it and uh, the mala comedy thing will be uh, the exact opposite so let's talk about what's going on this week in America uh, in a letter sent to Congress this week Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the debt ceiling deadline the date by which the uh, government can no longer pay its bills could be as early as June 1st. So the clock is ticking down. And of course, Democrats are blaming Republicans for not giving in to their unreasonable demand. We'll get to that demand in a minute. But first, let's talk about McCarthy's Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023, which is designed to raise the the debt limit by $1.5 trillion while cutting $4.8 trillion in spending. Here's what McCarthy has proposed. Rescinding $50 billion in unspent COVID funds. So apparently uh, we allocate those and if they don't get, if they don't get, uh, if they don't get spent, they're still out there to be spent when someone decides, hey, let's just use these COVID funds. Uh, Taking away the $80 billion in funding for 87,000 new IRS agents so they could come after uh, the billionaires. Yeah, that's right. There's a thousand billionaires in this country and they're gonna hire 87,000 new IRS agents to come after the billionaires. Wrong, they're coming after, you know, all of us. And they got guns too, Ed. And they got guns, exactly. <laughs> and we've, we've gone over that as well. They've got guns and they train how to use them and shooting from moving cars and such. Um, repealing Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness, which we all know is never gonna go. Um, he didn't have the he didn't have the uh, the authority to to offer that when he did it, but it was right before election time. So let's make some outrageous uh, offers to the people to get their votes, and uh, the, when we find out they don't get it, uh, well, they already made their vote. Uh, so you see what the how the game pl- is played in in politics, raising the work requirements for food stamp and Medicaid recipients from 49 to 55. Estimated to save 110 billion dollars. So, for those of you that didn't know, apparently, if you've got a, if you're getting EBT cards or food stamps or Medicaid, there's a requirement that you work. Heaven least, forbid, Ed. Exactly, you have to work at least part time. And of course, there's a bunch of other, uh, other uh, little, uh, little loopholes that, uh, that get you out of working if uh, you know it just doesn't fit. Hey, we're gonna give, give money away to people, and the rule is that you have to work, but. If you don't work, yeah, we'll figure a way to get you out of it because we're just going to give away money to people. Stopping the endless green energy giveaways that cost taxpayers up to $1.2 trillion um, and putting 1% cap on domestic spending. So I assume that means uh, uh, they can't increase the spending more than 1% of what was what was in the budget last year. Oh, no, we can't cap spending to make sure Americans don't support this sensible plan. Democrats had to come up with a misleading nickname for it, and they came up with Default on America Act. The most important thing we have to do in that regard is to make sure the threat by the Speaker of the House to default on the national debt is off the table. Last week, Speaker McCarthy and House Republicans passed the Default on America Act, a hard-right ransom note 
to the American people. The Republican Default on America Act has no future in the Senate. But let's be clear about the about what House Republicans Default on America Act does. It makes a series of deeply devastating and unpopular cuts to things like veterans' health benefits. Well, about that accusation of the veterans, uh, Democrats are pulling some stat out of the out of the sky that says McCarthy wants to cut veterans' health care by 22%, which is not true. Even the New York Times fact-checked this, and uh, Jim Tankersley uh, of the New York Times tweeted, Democrats have spent much of their time today accusing Republicans who support the bill of voting for big cuts to popular programs like veterans' benefits. To be clear, the bill does not spell out those cuts, but it caps the growth on federal discretionary spending, which includes those programs. So very similar to how Rick Scott's uh, plan said, hey, all, uh, all, all federal programs should, uh, should sunset every five years, so if they're good plans, they'll be voted back in. And they said, oh, well, that means they want to they wanna cut uh, Social Security spending, which is not true at all. You know, and if there was ever an indication in terms of the, incompet- the incompetence of our government, it's the national debt. There's no way you and I could run a business with this kind of debt. So how do we get into this mess in the first place? And the thing is, other than times like this, this is the only time people even talk about it. It's something the average day person doesn't think about. We're not even aware of it, but it's massive and it could literally destroy this country. So the fact we got into this mess, and I'll be honest, Trump didn't talk a lot about it either. And that should have been one of his high priorities is to balance a budget. Is that even possible now? I mean, you're talking trillions, Ed, numbers that you and I can't even wrap our brains around that, but it, this is this is huge. It's huge and it could destroy us and they need to get real serious about fixing it. To me, just shut the shut the government down. Shut Ex- it down. Exactly, and it's uh, we've shut it down three times in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, or maybe it's the last 25 years when this happened and it shut down for a period of uh, a week to uh, to three weeks until they came up with a deal. But you know what? Hey, the fact that we're hitting the debt limit means that we're spending irresponsibly and we need to stop that. Say, hey, we'll raise the debt limit under these conditions, but we have to we have to start be stop behaving badly. Right. And I don't know what McCarthy's doing in Israel. I mean, to one to me, one of the things we should have done, Trump should have done stop all foreign aid period israel everywhere that that needs to go needs to go all right okay so um for more than two months joe biden has ignored mccarthy's meeting requests on the debt ceiling on monday mccarthy made a quick statement during this bipartisan delegation trip to israel this is uh mccarthy the president still hasn't talked to me I'm a little like Netanyahu. The debt is a big challenge for America. We're going to have to come together to solve it. We've been through this before. Um, the only way you solve problems is you negotiate. That seems reasonable to me. You know, how do you how do you solve problems? You uh, you you get in you get you know how do you solve problems with your wife? You talk. How do you solve problems with uh, business in business? You talk. You have you have a hey. There's a difference of opinion, and you and you get together and say okay. What is what is the issue that you have with it? Okay, well I understand your 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 situation, but you know consider this, and you find a you find a happy medium. You know I hate to say it, but every time I hear these kind of things, like we need to talk with the president, I'm thinking, how depressing must that be to sit down and talk with a guy that's got stage four Alzheimer's and try and do anything constructive at all? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> where where's this gonna go? <clears throat> 
So the message that's been floating around for weeks in the debt ceiling is that Democrats want an increase without conditions. But this week, a new buzzword has emerged to make this sound a little less threatening. It's called a, quote, clean debt ceiling bill. Republicans want steep spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling. The president wants a clean bill without any restrictions. Senate Democrats' position remains the same. The only real solution is for both parties to pass a clean bill to avoid default. We are uh, here because by refusing to pass a clean debt ceiling, Speaker McCarthy has thrown a grenade that threatens the American economy, the global economy. The president is right. What we need is a clean debt ceiling bill. You pay your bills and then you can sit down and negotiate what a sensible budget is. Yeah, well, a clean, a clean, uh, clean bill is is kind of like, uh, hey, you know, you send your kids off to college and you give them one of your credit cards and say, okay, you can use the credit card for this and that and the other, and they go out there and spend it on partying and and buying stuff and uh, stuff that wasn't authorized by uh, mom and dad, and it gets up to the limit. And they say, hey, mom and dad, I need, uh, I'm up to limit. You need to pay this down. Do you just say, okay, son, I'll pay the thing off. And you just keep spending any way you want, or do you say, "Hey, it's time for you to stop wasting my money on this stuff. You're not. You're there to learn. You're not there to uh, to just party." Well, it also makes me wonder: Is there a limit to the debt ceiling, like ever? Like, like what's the limit, Ed? Is it a hundred trillion? I mean, where where does this stop? Because you you know as well as I do, you can't just keep racking up this debt forever indefinitely. It doesn't work as a business. It doesn't work for a household, and it certainly doesn't work for a country. Yeah, exactly. Like someone comes to me and says, hey, uh, I want to qualify for this this house. I want to buy this house. Well, hey, you've got too much debt. Um, and you so don't qualify. You don't qualify. Right. So uh, so here's what you should do. Uh, go open some more credit cards and spend some more money. <laughs> right. Well, hardly anyone has called them out for this misleading talking point, except for former Speaker Newt Gingrich, who wrote this op-ed in Newsweek. A, quote, clean debt ceiling hike is a dirty deal. He says, when President Joe Biden and his team talk about a clean debt ceiling increase, it's one more example of Washington using language to deliberately mislead the American people. They're using the word, quote, clean because it is a positive word. In everyday speech, it means, quote, free of dirt, blemish or unwanted matter. But in Washington speak, clean means more spending, taxes, regulations, debt and interest payments on the debt. It means weakening Medicare and Social Security, shrinking the economy, and lowering the American standard of living. A supposed clean debt ceiling increases the dirtiest option, and it would be enormously destructive. The chance for serious reform collapses if the debt ceiling is simply increased because the pressure point disappears. Historically, debt ceiling fights have been a major opportunity for con to control spending, shrink projected growth in government, and insist on reforms. Caving in and giving Joe Biden more money with no reforms eliminates the opportunity. And that, that's the thing I think about, too. What can the Republican Congress do? Well, this is a fantastic opportunity for them to step in and do something and stop the, this trajectory that we're on right now. He goes on to say the Democrats use of clean is exactly what George Orwell warned about in his brilliant essay, quote, politics and the English language. Orwell understood how dishonest politicians and bureaucrats could be while seeming to be candid and reassuring. He wrote, quote, Political speech and writing are largely the defense of the indefensible. Political language has to consist largely of euphemism, question begging, and sheer cloudy vagueness. Of course, I think of Obamacare. Make it so, so vague and cloudy you can't even understand it. And that's what Democrats do when they invent these buzzwords and nicknames. It's all designed to make us think they're smarter than we are. If our political system was honest, anyone 
who called Joe Biden's debt ceiling position clean would not be taken seriously. Of course, being honest would doom Biden's extreme position. It would make life much harder for those who favor higher taxes, bigger bureaucracies, and more spending the American people support. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you have to understand the, the situation they're in. Biden doesn't want to negotiate on anything. So this is the only time that, that they can force Biden to actually talk. Exactly. And, uh, you know, hey, we have a debt ceiling. This has to be resolved. This is the only time. But he wants to say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, just raise the debt ceiling and we'll talk about it later. Well, why would anybody believe that was the case? Because he hasn't talked about anything with anybody else at any other time. Well, yeah, pretty much for sure. I mean, again, the guys, the guys checked out a long time ago. So I don't know who actually is going to be in this meeting that might be able to make these decisions. Uh, but, you know, we're at an impasse. And to me, it's like, shut the whole thing down, Ed. I'd shut it all down. Absolutely. And, and I would leave it shut down because at the end of the day, the stakes are very high. And if they don't get something good out of this, then what's the purpose of having a Republican-led Congress? And all they would have to do is sit down and go through the budget. And there's tons and tons of areas that they that money's just being wasted. oh god it's so horrible <clears throat> it reminds me of a scene from the movie dave we probably should should have mm. played that today um but you know hey there's so many places you could just cut the money and say you know how you know when they talk about hey we'll we'll balance we'll have a balanced budget in the next 10 years would your family run like that well hey you know we're 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 running our credit cards up to limit and we really can't pay our bills and we can't afford to do anything but pay our bills and, uh, you know, we, we have to keep uh, turning the lights off and our kids are eating Top Ramen. But uh, uh, instead of instead of steaks for dinner, um, because we don't we don't have the money. But let's let's figure out by the time the kids are in college, we'll balance the budget. And I don't think it works like that. No, I mean, what, what am I? The things that I live by is to live within your means, I actually live below your means. Um, and I, I abhor debt. Um, I, I, I don't have any debt in my personal life. I don't have any debt in my business. And there's something that's freeing about not having debt looming over your head all the time. And that's why it really pains me to see my own government, which is taking about half of my, my income in taxes, take money and just throw it in a furnace, Ed. Exactly, me too. So on Tuesday, professional binder reader, Corinne Jean-Pierre, announced that the president would meet with McCarthy and the rest of the leadership on May 9th, which is next Tuesday, to discuss the debt ceiling, but that no negotiations would take place. Negotiations say the White House can happen at a different time on a different day. It is time for the Speaker and the MAGA Republicans to stop the brinksmanship and act to prevent default, which would have devastating consequences on our economy and the American people. It is Congress's constitutional obligation to act, not hold the full faith and credit of the United States hostage unless we allow them to make cuts to programs hardworking Americans rely upon, threatening to default and crash the economy unless the president agrees with Speaker McCarthy's entire agenda isn't just unreasonable, it's dangerous. That's why the president called each of the four leaders yesterday and asked that they come to the White House on May 9th to discuss the urgency and importance of avoiding default. Given the limited time Congress now has, it is clear that the, that the only practical path to avoid default is for Congress to suspend the debt limit without conditions. During his meeting with the leaders, the president will discuss initiating a separate process to address the budget and appropriations. 
Yeah, she says it's Congress's obligation, but Congress's obligation is to, is to protect our taxpayer fund, spending it prudently. That's what we elect them for, to make these decisions uh, on our behalf. McCarthy's bill passed the Republican-led House last week, but this week House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries pulled a fast one, filing a special rule that would allow for floor consideration of a new debt ceiling measure. In other words, taking procedural steps to force a vote on a so-called clean debt ceiling increase without spending cuts. And of course, House Democrats are trying to court a, a small group of Republicans to support it. Meanwhile, we've already heard Senate Democrats boogeyman language on the Republican bill uh, from Schumer. On Tuesday, Senate Republicans uh, held a press conference. Here's John Barrasso of Wyoming. It's dangerous. It's reckless. The president and the Democrats are fear-mongering, uh, threatening to default on the debt. This spending binge that the Democrats have been on the last two years has brought us record high inflation and a debt of over $31 trillion. If you're going to raise the debt ceiling, you need to tie it to some reforms in spending. And the Republicans in the House of Representatives have done just that in terms of coming forward with reforms that are responsible, that address the issue. And you take a look at what they've included in there, things like clawing back unused COVID money, for it's very popular with the American people. Tying work for able-bodied American adults who don't have children, tying that to welfare, the American public agrees. So it's time for President Biden to take his head out of the sand and sit down and talk and negotiate with Speaker McCarthy. Yeah, it's time for Biden to take his head out of somewhere. Um, you know, it's just not that complex. You uh, you bring in a certain amount of money, you don't spend any more of that. Hey, we're all out of time for the first half of the main event, so stay tuned for 5 Minutes Traffic, Weather, Sports, and Commercials, and we'll be back with lots, lots more. If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Just like an old-time movie about a ghost from a wishing well in a castle dark or a fortress strong with chains upon my feet you know that ghost is me and i will never be set free as long as i'm a ghost you can't see and welcome back to part two of the main event we open up with uh, the second half with that uh, song, If You Could Read My Mind, from Gordon Lightfoot as a tribute to Gordon Lightfoot, who we uh, lost this week, age 84. Uh, you know, it's uh, he's not a big rocker. He's a folk singer, but he sang some songs that, that are, were uh, part of the soundtrack of our lives, and uh, he will live on in, uh, in, in the music forever. So, uh, hey, to, uh, we give a tribute to uh, Gordon Lightfoot. So uh, uh, if, you, if you weren't listening in the first half, we were talking about the debt ceiling. We're talking about uh, financial stuff, which is uh, what I'm all about. And, uh, and what, I don't talk a lot about financial stuff on the radio. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in, in uh, finding out some financial, uh, some financial uh, advice, or, or as my assistant calls it, advice, um, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free area code 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo and uh, we'll help you out whether uh, you're looking to 
uh, pick up a piece of property you'd like to own, whether that piece of property is in California or another state, uh, whether you're looking to uh, refinance a piece of property uh, that you'd like to own or a refinance piece of property you already own, or if you want to look into one of those reverse mortgage things, call me. I'll help you get the the real uh, the real information. You know, some people say I heard talk to somebody this week said, well, you know what? I had never really thought about a uh, a reverse mortgage, but you know, everybody I know that's that's uh, that's mentioned it says it's really not a good thing. I said, hey, anybody who uh, anybody who who says reverse mortgage is not a good thing uh, probably hasn't looked into all of it because it is a it's a tremendous tool to open up. Uh, uh, options for your for your finances in your in your retirement years, and uh, for those of you that are hug that are holding on to three uh, percent uh, interest rates on your mortgage, but you've got uh, ten or eleven percent on your car car loans and twenty percent on your on your credit cards, and you're seeing you're seeing your car uh, your credit card uh, balances go up and your uh, savings accounts go down, might be time to consider a cash out refinance, and then uh, next year when the rates come way down after the Biden administration finally admits that we're in a recession, then you do a rate and term refinance when the when the fees aren't so high uh, because you're not doing cash out. So anyway, uh, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net. So uh, if you weren't with us in the first half, uh, in with me in the studio this this week is uh, Scott McAfee, proprietor of Don's Bikes, Rialto and Redland. Scotty? Ed, great to be back. All right, we're having, we're having some fun. So let's talk about, let's talk about some more financial stuff. Another bank collapse. Seems to me that uh, we had a couple of banks collapse uh, about a month ago, and the government told us this would be the last of it. We're and our banking system is is strong. Everything's just fine, Ed. Everything's just fine. <laughs> Everything. Don't worry about it. We're everything's covered. You don't have nothing to worry about. Biden's uh, Biden's in control. This week, America saw yet another shutdown with the collapse of First Republic Bank, a, a regional bank in San Francisco. The FDIC took control of First Republic on Monday and brokered its sale to J.P. Morgan Chase. The deal will protect the depositors, but will most likely wipe out shareholders and make the nation's largest bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, even bigger. First Republic Bank had nearly $230 billion in assets just last month, which means that it's the, the nation's largest bank failure since the collapse of Washington Mutual in 2008. And of course, this means that the three of the four largest bank failures in U.S. history have taken place over the last two months. Doesn't that make you feel strong? Doesn't that make you feel comfortable about how, uh, how strong our economy is? In fact, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is what sealed First Republic's fate. First, the Republic lost $100 billion in deposits after SVB's collapse led to panic among wealthy clients that led to its stock plummeting 75% last week. Meanwhile, the President of the United States is acting like all this, especially the part about shareholders losing their investments, is some kind of win for Americans. I'm pleased to say that the regulators have taken action to facilitate the sale of First Republic Bank and ensure that all depositors are protected and the taxpayers are not on the hook. These actions are going to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound, and that includes protecting small businesses across the country who need to make payroll for workers and their small businesses. And so let me be very clear, while depositors are being protected, shareholders are losing their investments. And critically, taxpayers are not the ones that are on the hook, as I said earlier. You know, is it the audio or does he sound really bad? <laughs> he just sounds really bad. He does. It's awful. You know, he just doesn't have any energy. I think when he's 
when he's getting ready to make a, a big speech, he gets a he gets a B twelve shot or mm. or a blood transfusion or something so he can so he can get up there and yell. I don't think it's working. This anymore. is not who we are. <laughs> Here's some more reassurance from Biden. I've called on Congress to give regulators the tools to hold bank executives accountable. And I've called on regulators to strengthen regulations and supervision of large and regional banks. And folks, uh, we have to make sure that we're not back in this position again. And I think we're well on our way to be able to make that assurance. I think, I think that's the same thing he said uh, three or four weeks ago when SVB and signature banks collapsed. And of course, now we now we uh, see that uh, Pacific Western is uh, shortly is shortly uh, is 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 coming up right behind Pacific Western lost 35 percent of its value of its stock, uh, which is a Los Angeles bank. Um, a lot of people, you know, you may not have heard of Pacific Western or Signature Bank or or uh, or First Republic. These are a lot of banks that a lot of the big uh, big investors use, and uh, you know, big investors and and hedge funds and uh, these people with big big chunks of dollars. And they're being lured by these business banks, and so a lot of us, you know, hey, I put my money in Wells Fargo or or Citibank or Chase or uh, or or uh, Citibank, Chase, Wells Fargo, B of A, B of A, yeah. and U.S. Bank are the five the five big ones. Um, so you, you don't hear about a lot of these, but they are big banks, and they're and they're out there, and a lot of big investors that are putting in the. So is First Republic Bank the final domino in the fall of the recent banking crisis, or will there be more? Like I just said, Pacific Western's coming up right behind it. That depends on whether depositors will pull their money from other institutions. But uh, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said on Monday, this part of the crisis is over. Is he right? Here's, here's Charles Gasparino from Fox Business. I know the president of the United States is looking to put the best his best foot forward and put put the best sort of spin on this. But I do know big investors at major money management firms that are that are looking at bank balance sheets, particularly regional mid-sized banks. And they're telling me there are at least two dozen of these types of situations out there. Does that mean two dozen banks are going to be dropping like flies within the next week or so? Probably not. I mean, this takes takes some time to work out. But you do have among about two dozen regional banks, the same sort of problems that you had at First Republic, at Silicon Valley, at Signature. Number one is that they bought assets, capital, that they need to keep on their books. When the Fed was essentially printing money, so they bought it, bought it at very high levels, those are securities, treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities, and with the Fed raising rates, a lot of those are now uh, below par. So if they're below par, if you had to sell it now, you're going to take a loss. That's one problem. The other problem is their loan book, if you had to sell it right now, would not be worth what, they, what, it, what it was worth initially on their balance sheet. If you put those things together and people start yanking deposits out of your bank in, in, a, in a big way, you are heading for failure. Yeah, once again, the Fed created this. So the Federal Reserve, when they were telling us that the inflation is just transitory. It's not. It, this is just a, a, a transition thing. No, no, this isn't serious uh, with inflation. Had they not been feeding us that line of BS, they would have started raising rates slowly a year earlier than they did. And by waiting, waiting an extra year, they had to start raising rates uh, faster than they should have in a shorter period of time. And that's what's created this. The banks can't recover because uh, they're having to pay out pay out higher uh, higher money than what they uh, are getting on their investments and as soon as as soon as uh, 
as soon as the depositors say, hey, I want my money out of there, they have to start liquidating their investments and they have to start recognizing the loss. You know, Ed, I don't work in banking or finance. Obviously, you have more expertise in this arena than I do. But one of the things that concerns me is a lot of small banks going away and being absorbed, like in this case, by the big banks, which I don't like and I don't trust. Uh, I used to bank with B of A for decades and I pulled out of them because B of A sucks. Uh, when I found out they were giving away um, clients' information without their consent uh, to the FBI related to January 6th, I'm like, okay, they crossed the line. I'm pulling all of my money out of B of A, and I haven't banked with them since. But but that's the concern is we get down just a handful of banks, and and then they, they start going to like a cashless system where it's all digital currency and they can control everything we do. That That's kind of where I'm afraid this may be headed. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I've been a little concerned as well because mm. – uh, uh, Don and I have way, way beyond the FDIC limit uh, in our in our accounts and uh, figuring out how do I split this up. And as I understand it, FDIC covers you per per account holder. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if you've got a joint account, they'll cover you for two hundred fifty thousand uh, for each depositor. So if it's joint you and your wife, then they cover up to five hundred thousand. But if you open up separate accounts, it's still they only cover you up to five hundred thousand. Uh, for the two depositors, so you got to go into separate banks, and which is clearly not very uh, convenient. But um, if that's how you have to protect your money, then that's how you have to protect your money. Um, meanwhile, Berkshire Hathaway Vice Vice Chair Charlie Munger warned this week that U.S. banks are full of bad commercial property loans. The ninety the ninety nine year old investor told Financial Times, "It's not nearly as bad as it was in two thousand eight." But trouble happens to banking just like trouble ha- trouble happens everywhere else. A lot of real estate isn't so good anymore. We have a lot of troubled office buildings, a lot of troubled shopping centers, a lot of troubled other properties. There's a lot of agony out there. So uh, 99-year-old vice chair. So uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the chairman of the board, is uh, is uh, Warren, uh, Warren Buffett, who's 92, and his vice chair is 99. So hopefully they have some younger guys coming up that are as smart as these guys. But, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of issues with commercial properties out there because people are uh, using their smartphones as their office. And I know that I have a commercial property and we're, we're revamping it from uh, I have a one, one opening that was 3,800 square feet and I'm cutting it into three smaller ones because that's really what, uh, what leases out now is the smaller ones. Well, here's Jar- Charles Gasparino on the commercial property issue. This is where it gets a little scary, because if you believe in the apocalyptic view of of commercial real estate, which is now making the rounds, that commercial real estate could go into default. There could be massive defaults, not just that these loans are valued differently than they should be valued. And if you held them to maturity, well, guess what? They'll pay off. But right now, there are borrowers who could go under. If you believe that scenario, then, you know, it gets really scary. And all bank balance sheets are going to be impaired at some point, the smaller ones will take the biggest hits. There is some truth to this worry about commercial real estate, and it is a problem for the banking business if we have commercial real estate defaults. But people have been predicting those defaults now, Neil, since COVID happened, and we really haven't gotten it just yet. Yeah, people have been predicting it since since the iPhone, since the internet, and owning commercial property i've been looking at it and saying saying hey you know what the the bigger things that are that are going to be a problem are the strip centers and the retail spots more than office space my buildings my buildings are office spaces but you know with amazon and everybody's shopping online less people going to the malls um the retail spots are going to be more of a 
more of a problem um, than uh, than the uh, than the office spaces. So I've been looking at it for years because I'm in the business and I and I look at things and I look at market cycles. And for those of you that don't that don't know about the market cycle, um, buy my book Experience Matters. Here's mine. There's four or five chapters on real estate investing and specifically watching the watching the market cycles. And you can get that at edhoffman.net. You know, I hear these clips from Charles Gasparino, and I think a lot of this, I mean, our banking system and our economy to to an extent is based on confidence or, of course, fear. And a lot of this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If there's word on the streets, these banks are collapsing. Well, then people pull their money out and guess what happens? They collapse. Exactly. Um, And when I think to also to myself, like what could actually change the trajectory of this country politically? I think we're kind of doomed unless something major happens. And there's only a handful of things that I can think of that would actually change that. And certainly a major banking collapse would be one of them, Ed. Yep. All right. So Biden's, let's talk about now immigration. Let's segue. Biden's no negotiation sit down with Republicans on the debt ceiling isn't the only thing happening next week. Next Thursday on May the 11th, Title 42 will expire. So that means no more extensions, no more sending migrants back over the border in the name of COVID. How the hell did they get in here, by the way, during COVID, right? I mean, uh, in the first place. Apparently apparently they don't have control of the border. No, apparently not. And they don't have to be vaxxed, I don't think, either, unlike American citizens in many cases. We've heard so many predictions on how many migrants are going to surge over here next week. The numbers hardly mean anything anymore. But here's what's happening this week with Title 42 still in effect. And these are, by the way, the U.S. Border Patrol stats. Over 73,000 migrants crossed the southern border in the last 10 days. Another 17,000 gotaways avoided apprehension and entered the country. 22,220 people had been apprehended at all U.S. borders in the last 72 hours. And that was in a tweet from the Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz on Monday. He also said that another 51,560 migrants were caught at the border last week. So just imagine what we'll be dealing with once these people can't be sent back under Title 42. And imagine how much worse it will be if Democrats actually manage to pass their Dignity for Detained Immigrations. I love these words, Ed. Dignity for Detained Immigrants Act, what we call last week the Detention for No One Act. See what we can come up with with nicknames, too, by the way. It's time Republicans need to start doing that. But make, make no mistake, passing that bill is going to be their next move after this debt ceiling deal. Count on it. On Tuesday, the Pentagon announced it would accommodate a Department of Homeland Security request to deploy 1,500 active duty troops to the border. But they said it's just for 90 days and most of them will be doing data entry. Yeah, okay. Here's Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder. For 90 days, these 1,500 military personnel who will be sourced from the active duty component will fill critical capability gaps, such as ground-based detection and monitoring, data entry, and warehouse support until CPB can address these needs through contracted support. Military personnel will not directly participate in law enforcement activities. What necessitated this additional deployment now? Is it Was it the changes on May 11th that are coming up, or is there any other reason regarding it? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, in light of the changes on May 11th and the uh, anticipated surge, uh, DHS did reach out and, and request this support. So in other words, we've got uh, 1,500 military people going down to the border uh, that aren't there to protect our border. They're there to do data entry to help to help bring the migrants in. As we discussed last week, they're there they're there to help service the illegal immigration people <laughs> coming over to make sure that you know we get all the get all their names input just right. 
Yeah, this is heartbreaking. What a waste of the military's time, by the way. It's it's no wonder that applications to go into the military are down because they're doing what? They're sticking them on the border to process illegal aliens flooding this country right now. Um, there's so many heartbreaking things about this, Ed. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. But, you know, I, the obvious questions, who pays for this? And we're talking like per individual. Think about this. Thousands and th- millions of people coming in. Who pays for their food, their shelter, their medical care, education, incarceration? Uh, th- the costs are like staggering, Ed. And uh, I've got my hand up because I'm paying for it. Yep. And uh, you know you're paying for it. Yep. All the taxpayers are paying for it. Hey, but Biden doesn't care because he, uh, number one, he hasn't been rich till he became vice president. And so he really doesn't know much about uh, paying taxes or uh, or paying bills or having money. So he just keeps spending it. So meanwhile, Karine Jean-Pierre, a uh, brain surgeon, tried on Tuesday to sneak in the White House most misleading border statistic yet. If the border is secure, as the administration has said, then why would we need to send 1,500 active duty U.S. troops down there? Because we need more work. We need more work needs to be done, Peter. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. Where did that number come from? It was, I was CBP speaking. is telling us the number is I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if you, far. If you. If the dramatics could come down just a little bit. Uh, if the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a question about. Okay, I'm, go- I'm going to answer. So I was speaking to the parolee program. As you know, the president put in place a parolee program to deal with, uh, to deal with certain countries uh, on, on ways that we can limit illegal migration. And we have seen, the data has shown us that it has gone down by more than 90%. That was what I was speaking and to. to no, I'm, really we're, we're going to go. We're going to move. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're moving, Peter. Let's go. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's cutting down on, uh, on encounters, but we're just letting people in. Yeah, pretty much. And it's kind of like this has been one of the most heartbreaking things for me to actually watch is the replacement of our country by people from all over the world. And we have no idea who these people are. I keep seeing stories now in the news about people being murdered by some individual who was deported like four times and he's still there. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how you fix this Ed, other than doing some massive, massive deportations. First thing we do is get rid of the Biden administration. Well, yeah, hopefully. So what exactly is the parolee program? Well, it's the Biden administration's program for asylum seekers from Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Venezuela. It was launched in October for Venezuelans and extended to migrants from the other three countries in January. Border Patrol numbers show the program has contributed to a drop in enforcement encounters, but regardless, it's also allowed 30,000 asylum seekers who followed the legal application process to be admitted in the U.S. each month since it launched. Sounds pretty effective, right? Um, and no. I, want to, I want to tell you one thing. In my shop, I am seeing more and more people coming in my business that don't speak any English at all. And not just from you know South America, south of the border, people from India and China, and also just families where the kids speak. Usually, you know, when the kids come in, you know, our family comes in. Okay, the parents don't speak English, but the kids do. Now even the kids don't speak English. You know what I mean? How do you sell them a bike? Uh, I can speak Spanish. Uh, what if, what I can if, sell bikes in Spanish. Yeah, what if they What if they speak uh, Indian? Uh, then I just go yes after they ask me a question. Thank you. Come again. Thank you. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the 60-day surge that Mayorkas and Blinken told us about to gear up for last week is freaking out some of the country's most migrant-friendly mayors of sanctuary cities. 
but they aren't blaming the Biden administration for letting the migrants in. They're blaming Texas Governor Greg Abbott for bussing migrants around. And one of them says he sent him to their cities because of race. Here's Lori Lightfoot of Chicago and Eric Adams of New York City. We are completely tapped out. We have no more space, no more resources. And frankly, we're already in a surge. It's the irresponsibility of those that are allowing them to come to a country and not build the infrastructure to allow them to pursue that dream. Governor Abbott sent uh, asylum seekers to New York, black mayor, to Washington, black mayor, to Houston, black mayor, uh, to Los Angeles, black mayor, uh, to Denver, black mayor. He passed over thousands of cities to land here. Yeah, he could have said to Washington, Democrat mayor, to New York City, Democrat <laughs> mayor, mayor, to Chicago, Democrat mayor, to all these different cities, Democrat mayors. Hey, you know what? If if you don't have any idea what you're doing, don't say, hey, we're, we're, a, we're a sanctuary city. We welcome all these people because you guys don't have any idea what this does to the border states, to California, to Arizona, to New Mexico, and especially Texas. And uh, hey, you know what do you? Hey, we don't have any more. We don't have any more resources to help these people. How do you think Texas feels? Well, yeah, and, and of course, you know, naturally, it's because Texas Governor Greg Abbott's a racist, Dad. He's a racist. Um, but but his point also is that New York doesn't have the infrastructure to handle like millions of people flooding in there. Well, what makes he think? What makes him think Texas has the infrastructure, or anybody has the infrastructure? Again, how much does it cost per person uh, to to feed these people, to house them, cover their medical care? Uh, you know, not only that, but, but what really annoys me more than anything else, and I can't can't say these words on the air, but but is the fact that American citizens, and I see this every single day, Ed, people living on the streets, you know, out of their minds. And we're, we're getting flooded by people from all over the world when we can't even take care of our own, Ed. That's correct. That's correct. And uh, and people just, you know, hey, you know what? If you don't have any idea what it takes to house these people, then just shut the hell up. You know, hey, you know, we don't have the resources to take care of our own people. And hey, you know, you need to you need to let us, to forgive our student loans. You need to forgive all this stuff. We can't afford to be paying this stuff. Well, how do you think the country is going to afford to pay for all these millions and millions of people coming into our into our uh, country illegally? And when the next 9/11 hits from within, like 9/11 in 2001 did, uh, you know, all these we're going to say we didn't know these people were here, and we're all going to point at Biden. Yep. Well, it's all about the votes, Ed. It's all about the votes. Never in the history of, of mankind has any country ever opened up its borders like this. Never. Exactly. And uh, But we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks. But uh, we're all out of time for this episode of The Main Event. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Always fun, Ed. And uh, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back again with you next week.